You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, healthy, alive, doing well. Had a lovely time researching some stuff. Yeah. Did you now? Hmm. Yeah, it's been a few hours researching um, some of uh, Biden's um, uh, charitable organizations, shall we say. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I think we're going to talk yeah, about that today fun. a little bit. The uh, the uh, the Cancer Foundation or whatever it was, the, the Biden mm-hmm. Cancer Initiative. He did say they were going to cure cancer, didn't he? If he was elected he president. Did, yeah. Yeah, they're going to cure mm-hmm. cancer. Yeah. So we're going to hear about how much money that's going to cost and exactly how much they're willing to put in on it. It's a good topic I think we're going to uh, we're going to get to. However, something caught me off guard as we were kind of sitting down tonight and we were starting to go through some of this stuff. Do you remember the podcast we did on the COVID-19 vaccine? Do, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. When we did with Mar- uh, Marty? Uh, Marty? Yeah. Okay. So the company that's been awarded the contract to the entire UK and to a third of the United States is a company called Novavax. We talked about it in uh, the Mm COVID-19 vaccine podcast. Now, mind you, this is a company that's been around since, what do we say, 1987, something like that. And since then, yeah, yeah, since then, since then, right, since 1987, they haven't developed a single vaccine that has been successful, not one. It's always been something that has not made it past phase three trials, right? Which everything I I think now is in phase two. I found something rather odd. It's not just the UK and it's not just the US that's going to be receiving a large dosage of this. Now, it's also Canada. Canada is going to purchase 76 million doses of the vaccine that Novavax comes up with. Mm -hmm. Now, is it just me? Because we, I mean, we covered in that podcast that this company was on the verge of bankruptcy. I mean, they were, they were insolvent. They were almost delisted from the stock market. I mean, they, they were warned by the stock market and said, look, you better get some value in that company of yours or we're taking you off. And the company was about to go bust. All of a sudden, Bill Gates swoops in. And now mm-hmm. they're the major player in this COVID vaccine, this coronavirus vaccine, a company that's never produced a viable product, a vi- a working vaccine. And now all of a sudden they're coming up with this. And now I, I find it I find it very strange. Well, not I mean, not really, but I would think that the media would be all over this, wouldn't you? Wait a minute. You would here's think, a, yeah. You would think, yeah, here's a company that's never created a, a working vaccine, and now all of a sudden they're tasked with uh, supplying, oh, I don't know, uh, 230 million doses of this stuff that we know of to three major countries. That seems a little concerning. Oh, it's, it's more than that. South Korea and Japan have also oh, agreed right. to buy some of theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, basically the Western world more or less has agreed to buy some of it. And there's also, what is it? The uh, Nova flu, uh, nano flu, nano, nano flu, yeah. nano something. Um, Anyway, that one was fast tracked here in January. So uh, before they were doing any of the the, uh, warp speed stuff, before all that started, uh, they were granted a fast track from the, um, the FDA, which is yeah. Questionable, concerning. I don't know. That's that's interesting. Why why would you give a fast track when there was no pandemic, no nothing going on at the time, right? It hadn't been it hadn't been given a pandemic status yet, and they fast tracked it. It just sounded fishy coming, especially when it's a company that hasn't produced a a, a successful product yet, and they had what twelve? I wanted to say there was somewhere eleven or twelve or something like that. Yeah, and that they were major facts. Yeah, and they were major vaccines. I mean, not 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 only that, yeah. but they were vaccines that were based around a respiratory syncytial virus. So these are not mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's, it's not like they were working on a vaccine for like the measles or the mumps or something. They were working on vaccines for the respiratory system itself, and they failed. Yeah. They've all failed. And now, there was the, also um, Ebola. They also worked on Ebola, yes, for that. And, and Zika, mm-hmm. I believe is what, yeah, Zika. I, I and Zika, well. yes, yes. Um, now, 
The CEO of Novavax, uh, Stanley Eric, of course, I'm sure that he's a very stand-up gentleman. He's come out and he's made a statement. He says, we're moving forward with clinical development of their vaccine, which we covered in that podcast, NVX Cove 2373, with a strong sense of urgency in our quest to deliver a vaccine to protect the world. Sir, you haven't created a single working product since 1987. And, and you're all of a sudden going to come up with a cure for the common cold. And I'm not I'm not saying that COVID is the common cold. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the coronavirus is a common cold. That's what I'm saying. That's the basis of the virus itself. So unless these people are willing to cure the common cold, they're not going to tackle this. That's what you have to tackle first. That's the underlying carrier for this virus or excuse me, for this disease. Correct. That's how it starts. Yeah. The what actually there there there's a plausible way to not necessarily cure you but make you highly resistant to it and i i don't think any of the companies are trying this because it's it's technology that we're it's still experimental but there's a a certain group of people here in the on the planet i believe it's the northern european countries um i think irish are specifically in this uh group but there's a a a group of populace that that their t cells are more aggressive so this um, COVID-19, when it attacks the body, um, these T cells knock it out before it's even able to take root. So you don't even get antibodies for it because the T cells work so quickly. That's actually a possible, if you could get everybody to have a, an immune system that strong and rapid, um, you don't really necessarily need a, a vaccine. But you're getting into a world that's very, very dangerous when you start doing like CRISPRs and messing with genomes and all that stuff. You know what we need to do? We, we need to go back because there was a UN, or excuse me, UN, well, pretty much a UN, a WHO vaccine summit about a year ago. And do you remember that? Like we, we listened to some of the stuff that was going on. Yeah. And it was the vaccine yeah. summit that was in Geneva, I believe. And they said that doctors are losing confidence in us. And these vaccines that we're putting out and the ones that we're suggesting to the medical establishment, they're not on board with us anymore. And we're getting pushback. Now, all of a sudden, no one's questioning that, are they? No. Uh, well, I mean, if if you're thinking and putting the putting things together, you, you are questioning it. But as well, far yeah, as sure. the medical world, no, they're not. Yeah, now they're not. Now they're not. See, it's it's like, well, wait a minute. Everyone's backing away from us. Everyone's losing faith in in what we're telling them. So what do we do now? We need a vaccine, don't we? Well, we don't need it, but we're being told we need it. How's that? Yeah, we're yeah, we're being told we need it. I mean, they're saying that every single death we talked about it before, at least in the U.S. I'm not sure about other countries, but at least in the U.S., deaths by COVID-19 specifically. You were healthy, got COVID-19 and died. It's only six percent of the tally. Um, mm -hmm. currently, you know, so you say it was like 180,000 or something. So, well, that was for the global, um, it was worldwide. If it was, that, that was for the global. If, if they were following the same trend, um, if it's ac here in the U S right, if that is accurate, you're under 11,000 deaths from COVID-19, everything else, um, the majority of the deaths are so that the 94% of deaths, you had something else that was going to kill you within the next year. That's that's literally what comorbidity means. You were going to die from something else. You got COVID-19 or some other disease and it accelerated that timetable and you died sooner. That's literally all that means. So that's, that's the majority of deaths already. And honestly, the the worst of the deaths that we've seen in the U.S. specifically, you're over it's over 78. You're looking at like 80 or so is the average death range as far as age, which means that's that's life expectancy here in the u.s mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the um the who's come out and made a statement on the uh on the deal here for this vaccine uh it's the, what's his name the um um oh i can't i i don't know his name uh tedros uh, I, i'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce his name but the head of the who you know who i'm talking about yeah um, yeah yeah he says when a new successful excuse me when a successful new vaccine is found there will be a greater demand than there is supply i'm not entirely certain um, about that I, i'm not entirely certain about that excess demand not, yeah. yeah excess demand and competition for supply is already creating listen to this vaccine nationalism and risk of price gouging vaccine nationalism that's a new one that's a new one uh this is the now keep in mind these are people that want a global medical system Right. Because, of course, that, right. you know, nothing can go wrong with that. Right. I mean, that's, what could possibly go wrong there? This is the well, kind no, of market. See, go ahead. Uh, sorry. I, I don't disagree with that. I want a global health system. Right. I want everybody across the planet to have excellent medical care. The thing is, is 
you can't make the government, you can't have the government saying you're going to do this. You have to do this. It has to be the free market that gets to the point that evolves, advances to the point that it can provide that to the globe. It's not a, we're going to mandate this, so it's going to happen. No, you're going to mandate it and a bunch of people are going to die. Yeah, fair point. It's fair point. Uh, he says that this is the kind of market failure that only global solidarity, public sector investment and engagement can solve. Sir, globalization is what got us into this nightmare in the first place. I, I love these people that say, oh, well, uh, the reason it didn't work is because uh, because we weren't integrated enough. No, the reason we have this situation now is because we were integrated to that point and we removed all the checks, right? That's what got us to that point. Do you remember when all of this started? Do you remember in the initial stages when you had the lockdowns and all the, take the EU, for example, all the EU nations closed their borders. You remember that? Yeah. Now, and what, what did the, yeah. And what did those, and what did those useless lumps of skin in Brussels do? Nothing. The Italians were asking for help. They got none. They were basically told to go kick rocks. Every European nation was on its own. And do you know what they're saying? They're saying, oh, because we weren't integrated enough. That's why everyone uh, mm -hmm. created that, uh, mm -hmm. that that feeling of, of everyone for themselves. You people uh -huh. are so delusional. I, I liken it to the last days of uh, the Nazi party, the bunker mentality. Right. That's where they're at. Yeah. They're in they're in the bunker. The allies are closing in on them from all sides. Right. They're closing in on them from all sides. You've got a faction coming in from the east. You've got a faction coming in from the west and an allied faction coming in from the west. And do you know what they were doing? They were partying. They were having a good time. They were fighting wars for armies that didn't exist. They led everything to ruin. That's where they're at. Although we're talking politically, we're not talking physically, thank God. That's where they are. They're, they're in the bunker. They're in that last stand mentality. That's where they are. And, and they've got nowhere else to go. I'm, t I'm talking about these, these people that are in these uh, bureaucratic, uh, unelected positions and, and things like that. So uh, he goes on to say that before spending another $10 trillion on the consequences of the next wave. See, they haven't played that card yet. That's coming. They haven't played that card yet. Yeah. We They're waiting for flu season. That's what they're doing. We estimate mm -hmm. that the world will need to spend at least $100 billion on new tools, especially any no. new vaccines that are developed. Well, wait a minute. I thought this one's supposed to be the be all end all. So we're, we're going to develop newer ones now? We're going to develop more for this? The development of vaccines is long, complex, risky, and expensive. Well, you're certainly ignoring all that. You're bypassing all that. You're bypassing all the safety checks. You know how long it takes to develop a vaccine? Just a standard vaccine. Do you know how long it takes? Seven years. Seven. And that's if you do everything by the book. And at that time, you're only lucky to get what the FDA says that it has to have at least a 50% uh, success rate in order for it to be approved. So you go through seven years of trial. This is the standard process. You go through seven years of a process to get through all the trials and everything. And then the FDA decides whether or not it's going to be at least 50% effective. And that's the process. All of that's being bypassed. All of it. How on earth can you be content with putting something in your body like that that they say that you need, which you're not sure about, you're just going off their word? How can you be content with doing such a thing when they're bypassing all of those safety checks in and of itself, right? For, forget that whether or not it, whether or not it's even going to be effective, which we know it's not going to be, but and they've already said that it's not going to be. Anyway, to your point about the speed of it being, um, you know, manufactured, mm -hmm. the fastest we've ever done one is four years. And that was for mumps. Okay. And mumps so, is not even um, like it's not yeah. even it's not even 100 percent effective. I don't even think 75 because you can still get the mumps. Yeah, I'll have to. I think they've they've put it up in that new cocktail, the MMR shot, measles, mumps, rubella. I, I think that's what it is now. They, they've bumped it up in that one. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, the mumps component of the MMR vaccine is about 88 percent effective. 88. Okay. When you they did it in doses. four years, two doses, two cycles. They did it in four years. Yeah. And when a person gets to, I uh, see, when a person gets one dose, it's about 78% effective. So there's an MMRV vaccine, which protects against measles, mumps, rubella, and, um, well, chicken pox. Mm -hmm. But the range of effectiveness, it's a range, okay? The MMR vaccine is a range of 31 to 95% effectiveness, but it rounds out at about 88. Uh, you know, it averages it out based on the tests and studies. And the, the same with the the seventy eight percent for for the single dose. It's forty nine percent effective to ninety two percent effective. Mm -hmm. So, and as, as far as I as I understand it, the mumps is not a like uh, it's 
not like a coronavirus and mutates multiple no. times. Yeah. No, no, you it's, just get it once and then that's uniform. it's like the chicken pox. You get it once and that's it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get over to um, let, let's talk about this Democratic senator. OK, Th- there's a Democratic senator. Listen to this crap. Right. Can you imagine like the gall of this guy? He comes out. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, okay, he said Saturday in a tweet, he put it out in a tweet, you go look, it's still up there. He says that President Trump is deliberately killing people. That's what he says in a tweet. This is his actual, I'm going to read his actual tweet, okay? He says, can we take the gloves off and tell the truth? Trump is deliberately killing people. And you ask, well, how's he killing people? He holds rallies where people get infected on Thursday, which, okay, what, we can't have a convention? You know, the the RNC Mm -hmm. can't have a convention. The DNC, you could have had a convention too. You, You could have had a convention, but you opted to do the Zoom call because it doesn't play with your narrative. So, um, yeah, so the, the RNC had a convention. Okay. On Thursday, he's speaking of the RNC at the White House, says on Thursday, no social distancing or masks, <laughs> sending a clear message that the CDC should be ignored. Um, well, I don't think the CDC has been right about anything up to this point. So why should you listen to them now? I mean, that just, that's just common sense. His plan is to kill people. Let's just say it. Well, no, I don't want to say that because I don't think anybody wants to kill anybody. Why would you make that assumption? Because it's a finger in the eye. What happened at the RNC? It's a finger in the eye to the agenda. That's what it is. It's not conforming and it's not submitting to the message that they're asking everyone else to capitulate to. So that's why he's uh, taking the stance that he is. But what a hell of a thing to say. Ser- seriously, what a hell of a thing to actually say about that. So he, he tweets the night before and he tweets the front row of the RNC, which are the people that give the nod on whether or not he's whoever's going to be the party's nominee uh, to make the run. They're all sitting next to each other. They're not wearing masks or anything like that. So he, he screenshots what C-SPAN was showing of the RNC. And he says, Chris Murphy, right, Senator from, uh, from, Kent- from Connecticut. He says, these guys are stone cold killers. It's a, it's a bunch of old, you know, frail white dudes up there <laughs> look like they're on their last leg anyway. The, the old party hacks. I mean, that's what they are. You know, the old guard. That's It's time for them to leave the party anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, the next, listen to what he says next. The next 50,000 people who die are their responsibility. So you're pinning even comorbidity deaths on them? That's what you're doing? Because we've had... Uh, well, a very, very low death count when it comes to just straight COVID deaths. So anybody that dies now is COVID. So you're saying when 50,000 people just die and they test positive for COVID, then it's going to be their fault. They sat right next to each other and didn't wear masks intentionally. They knew they were setting an example that would be followed and they reveled in it. Stone cold killers. This is a sitting senator who says this. What kind of a person are you to come out and say stuff like this? Can you can you imagine Can you imagine someone from the GOP side doing this? Can you imagine the backlash? Can you imagine what the media would do to them? And this guy has the gall to come out and say something like this. It's unbelievable. You're out there saying that. I find it funny because you're out there saying that about people that sit at an RNC convention, right? It's people that sit there and and you're up there putting out photos of the people that are sitting in the front row, the ones that are the party delegates that are giving the... Uh, the nod to the president to be on the ticket. And you're calling them stone cold killers. Yet you say nothing of the rioters out there in the streets. You say nothing about social distancing about that. You, You say nothing about them wearing masks out there in the streets. Why? Because systemic racism is a bigger health crisis than than any pandemic. That seems to be the talking point. At least that's what Anderson Cooper says, or at least the the guest that he had on the other night. But you got a lot of gall to come out and say that about uh, a bunch of uh, party people. I don't care what party it is. I don't care if it's the Democrat Party or the Republican Party. I care less. But to say that while openly ignoring the riots, openly ignoring the people that are out there burning, the ones that are out there trying to commit first degree murder by burning down federal buildings with people inside of them. They're trying to burn down police departments, sealing the doors up with cement, with quick dry cement, trying to set the building on fire with cops in it. You say nothing of that? I'm just trying to be equal here. I'm, I'm just trying to show that you're, you're paying lip service to one and not the other. What, what do you think of this guy? Absolute nonsense. Um, I, I don't even know where to go with it. This is, I don't know, it's pretty disgusting, honestly. How is he getting the motive, right? So he's basically attributing a motive, which is pretty difficult to prove in court, but he's attributing a motive to the president without any evidence. He's just saying... 
hey, you know, those people that are there that have a free will and freedom of choice themselves because the uh, president didn't, um, you know, order them around like, you know, like they're little lemmings or something and told them all to wear masks because of that. They're all, you know, if they any of them dies, it's his it's his fault. Um, and he's intentionally doing it. OK, so uh, to intentionally do that, right, you would you would have to be able to prove it right. A motive. Now, let's look at a quick motive, shall we? This is a rally. Mm-hmm. Political, it's a political event. He's looking to get more people to vote for him for a political election. Okay. Now, if those people die, he loses votes, right? So why would he be out there trying to get people killed? It makes no sense. And it doesn't fit his narrative either to encourage spread because he's talking about, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the the virus is eventually going to be under control. It's just the flu, whatever, you know, all the the rhetoric. I don't know where he's coming from other than the fact that he's a Democrat trying to stir up division and then attributing the division to uh, the president. Uh, So I... I don't know. They're scared. Basically, what what I think it is, they're losing. They know they're losing. They have a a, a terrible candidate. I mean, seriously, Biden's not going to be president. I mean, they could have done may better. be president in name only. Yeah, yeah, they they could have done. They would have done better with Bernie. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like Bernie, Bernie and Trump. I mean, that would be a race. Yeah, I mean, that would be a that real would be, race. And it would be, be clear cut. Yeah. It'd be clear cut. Yeah, like Bernie's more in line with what's going on than any of the Democrats or Biden. I mean, Bernie's in line with what's going on because this is Bernie's revolution. That's what it is. I mean, technically, the Democrats don't even need Bernie anymore. Bernie could retire happily and uh, because all of his all of his policies that he wanted to, to enact, the, the, the socialist agendas that he had, they're all that's part of Biden's policy. I mean, well, that, that that's literally what what he's championing. Yeah. Look what happened. I mean, the, the revolutionary communist party in the U.S. endorsed Biden. They endorsed him. And they said, look, they don't even have to run a candidate. Why do they have to run a candidate if the Democrats do everything they want? This is what I've been saying for years to people, because they haven't run a candidate for some years now. And they endorsed Obama twice, by the way. And I guess and they even made a statement, uh, the Revolutionary Communist Party in the U.S., they actually made a statement. They said that even though they don't agree with Biden's platform, they still see it as a hallmark to try and get the agenda through. And then they'll come in. They can come in later in an advisory position. But what does that say? What does that say when you have the revolutionary Communist Party in the U.S. endorsing the candidate for the Democrat ticket? What does that say? Oh, and also an actual white supremacist, you know, endorsing him. You mentioned who that was, and I can't remember who it was. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, was it Richard Spencer? I, I don't know who the name was. Uh, I want to say it was Richard Spencer. He's a neo-Nazi. There was it him. He's they're they're attributing him to being alt right, which mm-hmm. just means left. Okay, but. now here's okay. Well, for, forget forget who it was. But I mean, it, it doesn't ultimately it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Why did they endorse him? Because he's pushing white supremacist thing. I mean, he's a segregationist. I mean, their their entire platform is is talking about separating the blacks and the whites and having um, even more stringent affirmative action and basically basically beating down the white and uh, raising up the the black. Well, at least that's what they say. Um, The policies they put forward in the past doesn't do that. It's actually the opposite. Yes, it's it's the opposite. It beats both down. So no one wins. So no one wins. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, honestly, I, I seriously think they're just they're they're concerned that he's not going to win. And the other thing to point out, by the way, Biden has always been like when you look at his past, he's always kind of been like in the middle of what the Democrat Party stands for. Right. He's kind of always been with whatever the Democrats run for. And the further left the Democrats go, the further left he goes. It's almost like he is left himself and he just you know, keeps moving to, to so he fits into the party or maybe he's not left and he's just a populist. But Nonetheless, um, he, he could be just moving with the party so that he can line his pockets as, as he continues going. doesn't matter. Either he's a, a leftist himself or he's a he's an empty suit. He's a he's a vassal. And it, anybody, whoever, whoever the leaders are, whoever's running the show, uh, which if it was, you know, if they won, it would be Kamala more than likely. She was, the, um, she's terrible. I, I, I said at the beginning, I said she's a bad pick. I, didn't I? I said she's a she, bad pick. Yeah, she is. She is. If you look at her policies and the things she's done in the past, 
She's very far left wing Marxist. In fact, uh, she's further left than I want to say it was further left than Bernie. She's like in, in between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. Like that's that's where she's at. So she's really far left. And she's had other policies with um, basically imprisoning uh, people for, uh, for drug usage and holding them in prison longer than the, the, they should have been, essentially extending their their sentencing so they get free labor, basically. Yeah, as, as it relates to the ticket itself, she was 2% when she dropped out. 2%. <laughs> yeah. She was 2%. Yeah. He would have had better luck with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Klobuchar, I think. He would have had better luck with her. Yeah. Because she would have appealed to, um, what was the example she used on stage that night? Her, her uncle Dick in the deer stand? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with, yeah. With the hunting rifle? I could. Uh, how can you forget that? Uh, but and see, then, uh, those, well, even, those even are the moderates. The, the other candidate we've talked about. Yeah. But the other candidate we talked about, um, the Gabbard. one from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard, he, he would have done better with her. Like, Honestly, she's more of a moderate than any yeah. other. Even I was like, uh, okay, all right, lady. I, I agree with you. I mean, even I said that on a couple of things yeah. that she was talking about. And I mean, she still she left, just, but yeah, she still left, of course. But yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. I mean, that's that's where we are. But I mean, right. we can kind of right. those of us like you or I, the ones that they have to convince, we can cherry pick. We still have the ability to think. So we're allowed to pick things that we agree with and reject things that we don't. That's why I criticize yeah. Trump when he's wrong on something. That's why I give him a, a pat on the back when he does when I think he does something right. It was the same thing with Obama. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with uh, I'll, I'll go 98 percent of what Obama did. But the only thing that I really agreed with Obama on, I mean, and this is this is the absolute truth. The only thing I actually agreed with Obama on was the stuff he did with the environment. He was actually at it. But OK, you can go a little bit further with it. I didn't agree with 100 percent of it. I was maybe, I don't know, 80, 85 percent, something like that. When you list clean dirt as a pollutant, that's a problem. Anybody that comes from the Midwest knows better than that. And anything that uh, that is a puddle the size of a shoe, that's not considered a marshland and the land shouldn't be seized by eminent domain. OK, so I, I don't agree with that aspect of it. But as far as protecting natural habitats uh, when it comes to wildlife, and I'm not talking about not cutting the underbrush in California. That's not what I mean. But I'm talking about wildlife such as what happens in the Midwest in areas like Yellowstone and national parks and things like that, where you're not allowed to hunt. You let nature run its course, right? Nature balances itself. And so uh, the uh, the po- the illegal poaching, I guess, was, um, was more or less um, kept illegal, if that makes any sense. Uh, and it was stopped. And so uh, this this administration seems to have kind of ignored that. And to be honest with you, I'm not alone in thinking that there's a lot of Midwestern suburban uh, women that that fall into that category as well. Uh, they think that he's not done a very good job as far as you know animal rights and, and things like that when it comes to the ecosystems and the environment. Now, I'm not saying that Trump is per se responsible wholly by himself, but it's the policies that the administration itself uh, are are putting forth on that. Yeah, I, I can kind of agree. So. Uh, the, the I guess the problem I have is I, I do agree with you. Like some of the stuff he did was fine, like like Obama, um, like with, with the mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. The the problem is is it was it was tangled up in other stuff that was in the, the yes. same bill about yes. um, like where they they completely destroyed our coal industry here in the U.S. Yes, um, that part uh, that kind of stuff I didn't agree with. Yeah, but as far as I was speaking right. more along the lines of like natural animal habitats, and you being somebody that comes from that part of the country, you know just as well as I do that it's very important to, to keep a balance in that regard uh, as far as a wild local wildlife. Yeah, um, I'm not I'm not 100 percent for like completely abolishing, like uh, being able to hunt and whatnot in those national sure. parks. And here's sure. why I, I think it should be regulated. You know, you, you should you should allow certain amounts because this is the bottom line for deer and elk, for example, because we were specifically referencing Yellowstone and they have both um, using those specifically. If those populations get too high, they're going to eat up too much of the the, the vegetation in the area. And then they become like rodents or pests, right? Mm-hmm. And you have mm-hmm. to regulate the numbers. Correct. And if you're not allowed to hunt in those areas, uh, that means they release packs of wolves. Correct. So yes. um, I'm, yeah, I'm not exactly for releasing wolves. I would I would rather allow hunters, you know, because they're kind of dangerous to humans too. So I, I would prefer allowing hunters to do mm-hmm. their thing. Mm-hmm. It gives them food, a trophy. 
and the 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 entertainment, if you will. You know, there is some great memories there. You know, and, and it's useful, and it it also helps the environment. Believe it or not, hunting is actually useful. It is, it is, and and I'm on board with with what you're saying there. But uh, th- this nonsense that they're doing about um, uh, you know allowing hunters to go in and. Uh, uh, and go after bear cubs. No, I mean, we can't be having that. We, we can't be having that nonsense. Uh, we can deal with the fallout of that later. I mean, we can deal with it after they mature, but not not when they're no. Sorry. That particular issue right there. That's one of the things that have really upset a lot of uh, Midwesterners. And I, I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, and that kind of uh, that kind of nonsense. We, we can't be having that. So whatever whatever policy that was put under, that's got to be reversed. That, that has to be reversed. So anyway, but uh, OK, I tell you what, let's let's do some Joe Biden stuff. Yeah, we're, we're talking about creepy Joe mm-hmm. there for a little while. We got off into policies and things like that of administrations and whatnot. So let's do some Biden stuff because we, we wanted to talk about his cancer initiative. Now, Biden said mm-hmm. in uh, in the beginning, what was it like six months ago or something? He said that if he was this is before he was even put as the nominee, but he said that if he was elected, his administration was going to cure cancer. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, that that's yeah, he would put forward uh, essentially a warp speed, but it would be okay. for cancer, which, by the way, can we point out real quick? They did have a cancer initiative uh, during yes. Obama's. Yes, mm-hmm. they, they, and they didn't cure it. Though. Biden started. Yeah, the, it was actually called the Biden Cancer Initiative. And mm-hmm. it, of course, his wife, right, uh, is a doctor. I'm not quite sure what she's a doctor of. They went into uh, a venture to make progress in cancer prevention, detection, treatment and care. Uh, and they created the Biden Cancer Initiative. Now, interesting thing we found out about this uh, this Biden Cancer Initiative, because we thought, OK, well, he's talking about curing cancer. So let's look into this foundation. And sure enough, they've created a Biden Cancer Initiative. So interesting part about this, it was only open for two years. Two years is all it was is, is all it was open for. So what did they do within that two years? As far as grants, for example, or, or what they've done to help well, the science community let's uh, is okay, that what you're meaning yeah well because there is none yeah wait what do you mean there's none it's a cancer initiative how, how is there none? there's there's literally zero grants were given and as far as the outcome of of any kind of advancements that they uh did um it has yet to be seen there is okay how, hold on hold on how can you create a cancer initiative and not have any grants given to research um, well, supposedly this organization was never intended to do that in the first place. Go figure. Uh, oh, oh, well, wait a but- minute. It says here that in their venture, they were to make progress. I guess the key word there is make progress in prevention, detection, treatment and care. That implies mm-hmm. that you're going to be taking money in and then putting it back out to see to those four points that you launched your initiative based on. Correct. I mean, that's what logic dictates, right? That that's what logic dictates. Uh, the the problem is when you dig into where the funds went and what they did during that time. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't do anything. Um, to to okay. break it down, they they had four point eight million dollars. That's how much they raised during that time, right? Okay. During those two years. Uh huh. So about um one point seven million, roughly. Uh, is what uh, was the expenses, right? That's that's how much it uh, expenses cost. Expenses, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, a bulk of that, okay. So we're we're saying seven hundred and forty thousand uh, was put into conferences, conventions, and meetings during that time. The remainder of it was put forth in other. I, I, I don't I don't know. Um, I, I don't know where the rest of that went uh, specifically, but we do know that. Three million of it was spent on salaries, compensations, and benefits. Okay, all right, all right. All right. So um, they took in four point eight million dollars, mm-hmm. and they had what'd you say one point one point eight on expenses? One point one point seven, yeah, one point seven on, on expenses. expenses. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and they had three million in salary claims. Yes, yeah, okay, and so, um, all right. So there's uh, there's there's really only a hundred thousand left over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, the hundred thousand and the the other um, million that's unaccounted for, because uh-huh. the the seven hundred and forty thousand was used for, you know, like I said, the the conferences, meetings, and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. There's a million there that we don't really know where you, that went. What kind of what they do? Rent out Madison Square Garden with that kind of money? I I have no idea. I don't know where. All that went or how many meetings I can't they tell had you. or any of that. Bruce, kind of stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conference at a courtyard Marriott and I've spent 700 grand in the hotel for a conference. <laughs> right. 
it, it, I mean, you know, it happens all the time, right? Uh, it does. It, it does. Just amazing how much how much money you go uh-huh. through one of those hotels. So the the other thing to note is that um, in these charities, according to some of the charity um, uh, regular regulation or or charity um, mm-hmm. monitoring uh, organizations, right? They monitor other charities. Uh, mm-hmm. They've said a mid to large size nonprofit on average pays their chief executives. 126,000 per year. Okay. Now, the Biden Cancer Initiative paid the president, which is uh, Greg Simon, right? Mm-hmm. They paid him 224,000 in 2017 and 429,000 in 2018. So he doubled his so salary all, in a year. So, yeah, basically he was he was paid 654,000 uh, between those two years. Okay. Um, roughly. So, yeah. Uh, so, in other words, um, this uh, um, charity navigator, I believe, is the the organization that that is um, uh, that critiques other other charities. Uh, they say that seventy five percent of the expenses should be spent directly on the program. So, the grants, the the research, you know, all that stuff. Seventy five percent of the expenses should be spent there. Yeah, I don't even think twenty five percent of the budget was spent on any of that. They're saying, uh, let's see here, on average, 25% of the profits can go towards administrative overhead uh, and fundraising costs. Yeah, Biden's cancer initiative um, was 65% of the total expenditures. Okay. So, yeah, that doesn't sound fishy at all. No. And some of these people that are on this board of directors, you say there's some personal associations also linked into there? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. There's a, there's a few. Um, we'll we'll kind of go down the list a little bit on on some of these here. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Interesting uh, names Gregory's, on this list. Interesting names. Uh, there there are yes, and and the one you're referencing specifically, we'll get to in a minute. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, a the Gregory Simon. Yeah, he's the the CEO um, uh-huh. or or the the head of it. Right. Uh, the one that was paid the six hundred and yeah fifty four. Yeah, fifty four. Sorry. Um, he. Worked for not only the Clinton administration, um, oh. he was the chief domestic policy advisor to uh, Vice President Al Gore uh, oh. during that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was the he was the guy, the, the lead staffer that developed and passed the Telecommunications Reform Act and development of the national and global information infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't go into those to find out the the details on those, but he also represented the vice president on the National Economic Council, and he mm-hmm. also helped negotiate the U.S.-Russian agreement for the International Space Station. And um, mm. there's some other stuff that he was involved in. Now, the International Space Station one, I, that one is like, okay, that's fine. You know, that was an agreement. Yeah, between, yeah, you um, can't. That doesn't sound you bad. Can't say, you know, you can't but, yeah. say there's a Russian connection there. Uh, you really can't. I'm not being facetious, right? Now. Right. Right, right. Um, um, he was also the founder of Faster Cures. Now, that's not, I mean, it's just a think tank, right? Um, another laundering scheme thing, but yeah, uh, potential. I, I don't know what kind of research or anything they've actually done. However, there was an employee in here that also worked for the think tank uh, that was hired. And let me see if I can find her real quick. Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, uh, there's a it's a Cecilia Eridaza or something. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was paid 171,000, um, and she's the director of communications, uh, according to the tax returns. Uh, she is very active politically, um, very strongly Democrat, uh, going through her social medias and whatnot. But other than that, she's it's not it doesn't really get into what she's done, right? But for brevity's sake, there's a Howard. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say. Crean? Crying? I'm not I'm not really sure how we're supposed to I think it's crying. I think it's crying. Crying. Yeah. Okay, so he is the husband to Ashley Biden. Now, it doesn't look like it's a you know, it's a big deal. I mean, he is a doctor. Um yeah. except he's a plastic surgeon. He's got quite a bit of yeah. Yeah, he's a, yeah, okay. Uh, head of surgery at uh, Thomas Jefferson University, microvascular surgery department of Okay, yeah, he's a plastic surgeon. So, I mean, uh, you know, that that's uh, I I can understand you probably would uh, in in 
some types of cancer, there are some types that you need plastic surgery for to look, you know, normal right. again. If right. You will. And he does say so that I'm, say I'm, here, you know. Yeah. And it does say here he's a senior director of health policy and innovation at the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center and associate professor. Now, that could be just simple as sitting on a board, I think. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so. And the thing is, is he could be genuinely out there to try to help people, right? It could be a genuine mm-hmm. thing. The problem mm-hmm. is there was a million dollars that's unaccounted for. We we kind of know how the the whole uh, family gets enriched, and you know they, mm-hmm. they kind of it just it seems a little skeptical that that um, he didn't receive anything according to the tax returns, and uh, there, there's a million dollars missing uh, in in this tax returns. But a lot of the other uh, people here. Um, like Jeffrey Zintz, Zintz, uh, I don't know how you, again, uh-huh, weird uh-huh. last names. He was part of the uh, Obama administration. He was an advisor. Todd Park, also Obama administration. Uh, he mm-hmm. was the chief tech officer. And there's there's a few others in here that are a part of that. Some from John Hopkins um, University, which we've kind of heard them in recent times. Uh, yeah, uh, with the whole COVID. They were the one that created the map that everybody uses. Yeah. But there was there was another interesting thing here with the Jeffrey Zintz, Zintz, whatever. During the time of the Obama uh, administration, right, we, we had the um, Obamacare debacle right what you do you remember the the um the web page was really slow and it was people were having difficulty even getting anything yes. done yeah they exchanges, on the, yeah. okay yeah yeah well they they obviously put a task force together and jeffrey was was the head of the task force to try to fix it or it was part of the task force he kept pointing out a single contractor that could go in and fix this entire problem and the contractor was quality software services is who the company is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're listed as a general contractor, by the way, in, in this. Do you know who owns them? Take a Just take a wild guess. The biggest healthcare group in the world. Uh, United Health? United United Health Group. Uh-huh. That's who owns them. Uh-huh. And it just kind of seems a little fishy that um, United Health Group actually came up quite a few times in some of these um, foundations or, or companies that some of these uh, other guys have, have created. United was tied in there quite a few times. I don't know. There was a, there was just used to have a policy it, through United Health. It was good. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm you know not not bashing them at all as far as their what what the provided is. I'm just pointing out that there was connections and it seems mm-hmm. fishy. I, I know technically United is the biggest one in the world, so yeah. they're they're going to grab up competition. That makes sense. Sure, so that could sure. that could be what the connection is. I, but I find- um, yeah, I find this one here. I mean, th- this is all fascinating, by the way. And now here's here's the question I have. After all this, did they cure cancer? No. Um, and I, I do want to point out something here. Most of these doctors on here, I, I looked into their career. I, I looked yeah. into their social media, all that stuff. Uh-huh. Most of them on here legitimately look like they're trying to cure things. Like okay. they legitimately are not political. You know, their, their social medias don't talk about politics at all. They're talking. It's it's all business on their social medias. Mm-hmm. It's they're mm-hmm. talking about, hey, we're at this conference talking about this and we're looking to cure this. We've made advancements in this. I mean, it looks legitimate like they're trying to make advancements to to help okay. people. It's the the ones that were paid off in this that were are the politicians, the ones that have been, well, the swap, uh, shall we say. What well, I'm um, confused about this one here. Uh, this uh, Out of all uh-huh. the names on this board of directors, this one is perplexing me the most, and I can't quite figure out why. Now, I understand Jimmy Gomez, right? I, I understand that one. He's a cancer survivor. You obviously you want a celebrity face up there to show as, as a showpiece, right? You, to give speeches and things like nah. that. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. So I get mm-hmm. that one. But this one, this one's got me confused. Aaron Andrews, Fox Sports lead yeah. NFL sideline reporter, co-host yeah. of ABC's uh-huh. Dancing with the Stars. How does that one fit in? So that one... <laughs> That one I was perplexed with uh, as well. Uh, so I, I dug in. Turns out she's done a lot of philanthropic work. She okay. does a lot of charities. She has started up a lot of charities. She's helped with a lot of charities. And these look like legitimate charities that are actually legitimately trying to further things. Um, mm-hmm. So it looked like uh, maybe Aaron was just a spokesperson or, or something on those lines as a just kind of a... Um, uh, to look good, you know, to legitimize their operation. Uh, that's basically what what um, Aaron looks like. And there's the Jimmy Gomez. Yeah, you pointed out cancer survivor, so on and so forth. That one kind of makes yeah, that, sense. That uh, one I understand. 
that one I understand. Foundations will, if they take on a specific initiative such as this one, all right, the guy's a cancer survivor. You obviously, you want someone up there that people see in the mainstream and the media and stuff like that. You want someone up there yeah. as a showpiece that can give speeches and say, you know, as a survivor, blah, 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 you know, which, okay, yeah. great that you survived it, right? Great. I, and I know people that, have, that are cancer survivors and I, I know people that are fighting it right now. Uh, and it's it's a terrible thing. It's an ab- it's absolutely awful. It's awful. And I know people that have succumbed to it as well. Uh, and it's it's awful. So if you can beat that bastard of a disease, you know, good on you, no matter who you are. Yeah. And some of these like I know specifically for like Aaron, I went in and I was looking at, you know, maybe maybe it's spouse. Maybe maybe it's some, you know, connection there that that no, actually the spouse uh, her spouse is Canadian. He's a ice skater. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't look fishy at mm-hmm. all there digging into mm-hmm. that. So it Aaron in Aaron's case specifically, it looked pretty legit. The other ones in here, like I said, some of these like uh, uh, Todd Park and the Gregory Simon and so on and so forth. These ones that have political affiliations, uh, David uh, Bradley, uh, Atlantic Media Company, uh, that is a left wing media outlet. I mean, pretty heavy left wing. They have a bunch of Mm -hmm. subsidiaries uh, under them. And then there was also, there was something about the corporate advisory company. Uh, It's a, let's see, it's subsidiary of Gartner. Yeah, it's, it's a, I think that one was just like an IT finance, HR marketing thing. So basically we're looking at $4.8 million, a lot of nice talks and fancy salaries, a couple of conferences, a million dollars disappeared. They had about a hundred grand left over. And they closed up shop because no grants were given and no cure was found. Yeah. And, and uh, interesting to note about the, the closing up shop, they closed when they closed up shop, basically Biden stepped away. And then the organization was like, yeah, we can't really go on without Biden. He was he was really the head on this. So we're going to uh, essentially close it out. But when they closed it out, they left some of the people on the board so that it's still there. Like it's still a charity organization. They don't have to reform it. So if they ever okay. decide at a later date to start this up again, they can start it up again. Which I think that's I, I think that's what'll happen. I, I think they'll go on with it and it will it will stay like that. I mean, that's usually what they do. And I was reading about the connections of I, and I don't want to play party politics here, but I was reading about the connections of the left and their tax exempt foundations. And if you really want to know where the heart of the corruption lies, it's within the foundations themselves. That's where they launder their money. Right. That's what they do. That's how they do it. Look at the Clinton initiative or the Clinton Foundation. Now the Obamas have their own foundation, right? The Obama Foundation, Mm -hmm. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. George Soros has his Open Society Foundation and Soros Fund Management. This is where Warren Buffett uh, through his. This is where they put their money. The Carnegie Endowment, the Rockefeller Foundation. That's what they do. So this is why they're able to keep their money and not pay any taxes, because they can launder it through their foundation. That's what they do. And then they keep a low profile as far as, well, George Soros, he's only worth $8 billion. Yeah, right. <laughs> $8 billion. He's probably the richest man on the planet. One of them. Maybe not the only one, but he's probably the richest guy on the on, on the planet. At least he's the most, um, shall we say, uh, philanthropic when it comes to giving to organizations. I'll give him that. Right. I'll, I'll give him that. He does. <laughs> he does spread the money around for sure. Uh, without a doubt. He is one of the biggest donors to organizations. He is. He is. But it's an organization that either he controls or it, it is an organization that promotes the agenda that he wants. Otherwise, he won't do business mm-hmm. with them. Here's the thing. And I, when I get into talking about Soros, he's a very unique individual. It's very um, intriguing when you start looking into him. And I'm not talking about all the corrupt stuff and things like that. But here's the thing about Soros. As much as I don't like his practices, he's not breaking any laws. Now, you could argue a moral law from that standpoint. He's not breaking any laws, at least none that we have. And I mean, I've watched several interviews with him and he's been asked before because of his, uh, quote, questionable business practices. And he's made his stance very clear. Now, we know what he does behind the scenes, like Project Veritas. They've done multiple pieces on uh, his dealings behind the scenes uh, and things of that nature. We know what he does as far as media companies and things like that, though it is unethical. I don't believe that it's illegal. Uh, I could be mistaken. I could be mistaken. But what he does, and he's made his stance on it very clear. Uh, He said, look, I'm following the law and my foundations and my organizations, we're following the law. He says, now, if the law were to change, then we will follow the law. That's what he said. He's basically, by making that statement, I mean, it sounds good on the surface, but by making that statement, he's laughing in the fact that we don't have a law to prosecute someone like him for what he's doing. 
That's what he's doing. Yeah. So he's he's a very unique individual, and he's he's someone that you do need to keep an eye on. And I, I've watched uh, his uh, his decisions, and I, I read his op-ed pieces when he does put them out. Uh, and he's he's a very controversial character. He's very unique, and he's apart from the fact he's largely responsible for most of what we're seeing now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just he he's one of those um, he's one of a kind, right? He, he's one of a kind. So that's um, interesting thing, but. Uh, these these foundations. And I remember I was pointed in a direction a few years ago, and I, I really wasn't making the connection. But a few years ago, I was pointed in the direction by a university professor, and he said, "Look at the. You want to understand what goes on with the corruption." He says, "Then you need to look at the connections between the American left, specifically, because that's where most of the money's hiding. Uh, you need to look at the American left." And they're tax exempt foundations. That's what you need to look at. And you need to start digging into that. And by you, Bruce, digging into just this one thing, just this one thing, look what you were able to uncover in just one mm-hmm. thing, one foundation. Can you imagine if we started digging on some of these other ones, which we have from time well, to time? You know, there's there's one more thing and it reminded me uh, talking about all this. You ever wondered why Bush uh, we we already know that Bush didn't like Trump, right? He already doesn't yes. like Trump to begin with. And they've with. got foundations too, by the way. They do. And th- this kind of seems a little a little fishy when you see that Bush is um, siding with uh, Biden now. Mm-hmm. His, that I'll tell you all you need to know. Yeah. So uh, Todd Park, uh, who was the chief tech officer during the uh, Obama administration. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. and Jonathan Bush created a foundation together, or a a um, a business or whatever um, mm-hmm. together. And it just seems interesting that you have uh, someone so closely working together, those those two, and one of the co-founders is working for um, the Bidens. It just, it, it kind of seems interesting that Bush has come out and sided with Biden mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when he's had family that works with the Bidens. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, just, just kind and of you know, Yeah. And it's, you know, that didn't shock me. I mean, I didn't have that shock value when when Bush came out and said, "Yeah, we're siding with Biden. We're we're, we're endorsing Biden." That that didn't shock me. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was. No I surprise. expected yeah. that. I expected that. Yeah. I, I wanted to believe that maybe okay, well, you know, uh, possibly you could do it for I don't know the sake of the nation. But the corruption is so bad. It's so bad. Like you have to you have to stop and think. We had the same criminal dynasty in the White House for three decades. That's what mm-hmm. it was. Three decades. We didn't have a change of the guard for three decades. Think about that. Think about that. You thought you were voting for a new president every four years? <laughs> no. You had Clinton or you had Bush. You had Clinton. You had Clinton. You had Bush. You had Bush. You had Obama. You had Obama, which we knew who was running the things behind the scenes there. It was the Clintons. And it was supposed to be Hillary. Donald Trump was not supposed to happen. They were all part of the same criminal cabal. And so it doesn't surprise me when when Bush comes out and sides with Biden. It doesn't surprise me at all, because if Biden goes down, if the D.C. swamp goes down, Bush and company go with them. They go with them. Mm -hmm. They're just as guilty here. And so, uh, I mean, it's like that. That's what it is. I I think the average and I'm I'm not talking to the uh, I'm not talking to the average Democrat, the average Republican out there, which I, I talk to them, the average Republican out there. I don't think you realize just how bad this is when it comes to the corruption here. Like this is bad on both sides. I remember that I used to criticize Bush, right? Bush uh, Jr. Obviously, because Bush Senior was just too yeah, I was I was too young. But I used to criticize Bush Jr. George W. I used to criticize him, and I remember I had people getting on to me when I would criticize him, and I, I was like, well, wait a minute, you you can't. I mean, they were bandwagon jumpers. You know what I mean? Like the the ones that yeah. were like the Obama people. They were all in. He could do no wrong. They were the same way. Mm-hmm. It was the Bush people were the same way. He could do no wrong. And I thought, wait a minute, you can't criticize. A, a president when he's wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that I disrespect the office that he holds. I didn't like, like I said, I, I didn't like over 90, almost you know, 95% of the stuff that Obama did, but I didn't disrespect the office that he held. There's yeah. a difference. There's a difference. You can criticize a US president based on policy and you can criticize him based on uh, the ideas that they put forth, but you don't disrespect the office that they hold. And I, I think there's a fine line there and, and people just don't quite get it. They think that if you criticize, if they're all in, the, the point I'm trying to make is, is if they're all in on somebody, like whether you're all in on, on Obama or you're all in on uh, Bush and the Trump people are the same way, the diehards, he can do no wrong. And the thing is, is that they think that if you do criticize them, then you're criticizing the office as well in some cases. And that, that's just not true. That's not true. Why can't we disagree on policies and ideas? Why can't we disagree on that? No one's perfect. You think that when a U.S. president gets elected, that 
especially if it's your guy, you know, whatever, then you think that everything they do is going to be set in stone. Everything's the gospel. They can do no wrong. Do you know how dangerous that is? That borderlines on the creation of a cult of personality. We've seen it time and again throughout uh, autocratic rule throughout history. And it's, it's very dangerous when people start thinking like that. We must be allowed to criticize people that hold elected offices based on their ideas and on their policy. I, I think that's key here. What do you think? Exactly that. That used to be the standard back in the day, by the way. You used to be able to critique someone's policies and not get bashed, uh, as you were saying. And that that's kind of always been my stance anyway. I'm fine with critiquing policies and whatnot. Just don't go after, don't start name calling and don't do, honestly, don't do what the media has been doing recently, saying that Trump's intentionally killing people. Well, no, that's not, you're, you're no longer... You're no longer going after policies. You're now going after like the character, the person you're you're Mm -hmm. trying to. It's equivalent of name calling. And it's the same with uh, the same with. Well, you wouldn't have done that with Obama, honestly. I mean, I love that. I I I love that argument. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. It's just it's frustrating because he is the president. There is a level of respect you should be giving him because he's president. Right. And we don't see that at all. They just like anything and everything is is. Uh, open, open for critique and and bashing him on. It's just that that that's really frustrating. Go after his policies. Don't go after anything else. Uh, and maybe maybe his character because he's he's he can be a jerk sometimes. But honestly, I, this is what's funny. The media is so unaware they don't see that he's he's trolling them all the time. And I think that's hilarious. It's the tweeting. Like I, I've been I've said before that the the tweeting has to stop. But I know why he does it. It's for that reason right there. Yeah. Yeah. And for that reason alone, I'm kind of like, eh, maybe you shouldn't stop tweeting. Just go for it. Go, go ham. Have fun. <laughs> because if he was, if really, if the Republican Party was smart enough, they would use that as a smokescreen, allow Trump to go off and, and do his little go ham with his tweets and then start passing policies that are good for the nation, that are good for the American people. Lower taxes, you know, lower these regulations so that mm-hmm. businesses can work and open. And, <laughs> did you, you know, did, but did you hear Trump the other night on stage at the RNC when he gave his speech, which was 70 minutes long, by the way? He said, believe me, yeah, like, given, a, yeah, given a talk 70 minutes, that is no easy feat to do, believe me. Uh, that but, is not, no. <laughs> did you hear what he said about taxes? He says, and your taxes, I will cut them. I won't raise them. Yeah. I will cut them fast <laughs> and by a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, that should be the standard anyway. Like that should it shouldn't be. I'm, I'm so tired of, of of government getting more and more taxes and, and doing it's so annoying and frustrating. Well, and government's bad. So you that, can't that raise. Kind of, you know. Yeah, you can't raise taxes. In, in the middle of all this, this is not the time you need to be taking money into taxes, especially if you're printing money like it's going out of style. You can't be raising taxes now. That's foolish. That's stupid. You need to be raising taxes when you peak, as in when your economic cycle hits the upswing and you're at the peak of that. Raise taxes then. And then when the economic cycle is on its way down, you don't tax. You don't tax. You cut tax. And then you can raise them again on the way up when everybody's making money. That, well, I mean, it's just... Don't just raise don't, them at all. And, don't raise them know, at all. But, yeah. I mean, if you're going to have <laughs> Allow them, your, yeah. yeah, if you're going to have them, then you need to do them when you're in an economic boom. So when you're booming, that I mean, booms and busts work in economic cycles. It's like uh, winter and, and summer. It happens. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you're going to raise taxes, then you need to do it during a boom time. If you're going to do it in the time where you're in a recession, that doesn't help anybody. That's I mean, that's going to put you into a deeper recession and possibly a depression, which they're talking about raising taxes. Now, Biden gets in there. Can you imagine what taxes are going to do? They're going to go through the roof. They're going to go through the roof. They're talking about a hundred trillion Green New Deal. Biden's in Green New Deal back in the Paris Accords, all of it. Green New Deal. That's a hundred trillion dollars just for that alone. Just for that alone. One note I would add on the the taxation nonsense. Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing that how percentages work? For example, if you were to have a 10% tax and that's it, like that's it. No other taxes, no other nonsense, just Mm -hmm. a 10% tax across the board for um, the the average person. Yeah, flat tax. But then corporate, uh, we'll say 15% or something, you know, or 18 or something like that. Isn't it amazing that, uh, you know, when when you start making more money, you have to pay more money into the tax because, you know, you make $100. Well, only 10% of that, you know, it's 10 bucks. Well, you keep Mm -hmm. that number keeps increasing $1,000. Well, it's 100 bucks. Isn't that kind of interesting? So why do you have to keep raising taxes? 
allow people to make more money, allow them to go out there and allow businesses to succeed and make more money and so on and so forth. And guess what? You will get more revenue from taxes. You don't have to raise them. Uh, the problem is, is uh, politicians think that your money is their money. You're just uh, being allowed to hold on to it for a while. That's that's their perspective. Indeed, it is. Unfortunately, we're out of time today, so we're going to have to end. For those of you who have not, you'd like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. Love getting all your comments, your likes, your upvotes, your echoes, all the above. You can follow me over there at Anderson 3 You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us and you don't want it to reach out to us on social media, you can drop us a line anytime you wish via email at tips at dynamicindependence.com. If you could, please, we would humbly ask you to pass us along to friends and family. We're trying to promote good, healthy conversation in between people and in their circles, and we're looking to expand and grow as much as possible and we need your help in order to do that so if you could pass this along to people we would greatly appreciate it thank you very much also if you're rating podcast please drop over to apple podcasts or any other respective platform you listen to us with a rating system and drop us a rating if you could please five stars would be a plus thank you very much thank you for your time today bruce and from all of us here wherever you are in the world we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible we love you and we love freedom and independence and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas so we'll see all of you tomorrow